that a day is divided into sittings and walkings and not much else. <clears throat> and sometimes yogis get the idea that the sitting is the real practice and the walking is just a filler. Uh, uh, just something to take up the time until we get to the real practice of sitting again. And that's really a wrong understanding of what we're trying to do here. The walking practice is as effective a means for coming to know the nature of the mind and the nature of uh, this experience of mind and body. So please consider that the walking meditation is also uh, a, a practice for awakening, bringing the mind into the present moment and noticing what's happening. So, as in the sitting, the walking meditation is a formal practice, and uh, there is, as in the sitting, this field or sphere of awareness and the specific movements and sensations and experience of walking within it. So during the walking periods, or whenever you are walking, find a place where you can walk uninterrupted, where you can walk 15 or 20 steps back and forth. And use that place, use that space, use that uh, track that you walk on as the ground for your awareness. So that after uh, a few uh, hours, you'll have seen everything there is to be seen there, and you won't need to be distracted by what's happening. And then you can really let yourself be with the experience, the physical body experience of walking. I'm going to talk about three different ways of doing the walking meditation, and I'll talk about them in sequence, but you can use whichever you find is the most effective for you maintaining awareness in each walking period. So the first type of walking is to walk about normal speed and to be aware of or to notice the movement of the legs and to notice left step, right step, left step, right step. And when we move about normal pace, then we can pay attention to and notice or note left, right, left, right, left, right. And when we get to the end of the walking track, to notice that we stop, that we stand, we turn around, before we walk back. And so all of the steps, the stopping, the standing, and the turning happen in the field of awareness. And we can note each of those units of experience 
walk back to the other end, left, right, left, right, left, right. Noticing, feeling the sensations in the leg, the foot, the hip, the thigh, the knee, the calf, the ankle, as you walk. So that the corollary of the breath in sitting is the sensations of the leg or the moving leg and foot in walking. The faster walking is particularly helpful when or initially after getting up from sitting so that you get some energy moving. And if you're feeling drowsy, sleepy, it can generate quite a lot of physical energy which sometimes helps the mind to brighten up. If you find that you are energized, reasonably clear, concentrated, pretty continuous in your awareness, you might want to walk a little bit slower. And again, walking back and forth in a track, 15 or 20 steps, Walking a little bit slower, we can notice two phases to each step. The lifting of the foot from the ground to up in the air, the placing of the foot from up in the air to down on the ground. And so, when we walk slower (coughs) and pay more careful attention or continuous attention, we can notice more of the experience of each step. More sensations, experience in the lifting and in the placing. So a noting sequence would be lifting, placing, lifting, placing, until we get to the end of the track. And again, noticing, stopping, standing, turning, before we walk back, lifting, Placing, lifting, placing. There may be times when you feel particularly clear, uh, energized, and uh, focused, or, or continuous in your ability to note, and where the mind is noticing subtle experience. And then you can walk very slow, microscopically slow as slow as you want, or as slow as you are able without falling over. And then, again, walking in a track, 15 or 20 steps, so that you're not just wandering around the grounds or through the building, to notice three phases to each step. The lifting of the foot from flat on the ground to up in the air, the moving of the foot from behind you to in front of you, and the placing of the foot from up in the air to flat on the ground. And as we walk slower, we can actually get closer to our experience. We can notice more detail. And in that, becoming more sensitive to the subtleties of what's actually happening as we walk. It's not necessary to get involved in the uh, anatomy of walking, muscles and leg and bones and and these tendons and, and whatnot but rather to just be with the actual experience of walking. Whatever the experience of moving the leg is, 
the lifting of it, moving of it, the placing of it, before the lifting of the other leg begins. Lifting, moving, placing. Slow walking like this can initially feel a little stilted. It's not how we usually walk. And it can feel a little stilted, and it might feel like you're uh, wobbly or forcing, but uh, with a little bit of uh, practice, it can get quite uh, natural in the mind. Uh, The awareness can settle into and be with that pace of noticing experience. If you find that you're getting really distracted by thoughts, imaginations of one sort or another, then stop. Stop walking. Stand still. Feel the body. Feel the body in the standing posture. Come back to this experience in the field of awareness. When the mind or when you're able to be with the body standing still, then you can begin again to be with the body in the experience of moving the legs. If you use the walking periods for developing or continuing that continuity of attention, of intention, attention, and, and your motivation, then when you come back to sit for the next sitting period, you will have the necessary energy and the balance of mind to, to keep your presence of mind when you sit. So we can actually carry the momentum of our energy, our tranquility, our attention from sitting to the walking, develop it through the walking, and bring it back to the next sitting. So that we're not dissipating the momentum of our attention, our mindfulness, our energy, by scattering our energy around the place and having to begin again at the next sitting. So use the walking period as a, an adjunct uh, means for developing the mind. Any questions about that? Nope. <laughs> that must be the schedule. <clears throat> if you can walk for the full hour, uh, if you can't walk for the full hour, then come back. <clears throat> Excuse me. Come back and sit. But not just to dissipate your uh, energy by, you know, having a read, a snooze, or a cup of tea. It's okay to have a cup of tea, but that also is a Meditation. <clears throat> Initially, in the in the early days of a retreat, uh, as Joseph mentioned, sleepiness is endemic, both physically tired and and achy and 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 sleepy, and mentally the mind is sleepy. Walking is the um, necessary balancing practice for so much stillness in sitting. So, as much as possible work with the full hour of walking. And sometimes you may find that you just can't get into it. And some people have difficulty with walking. You just can't get into it. Stay with it. 
And uh, sometimes it may take 40 minutes before you drop into being present and um, into it, not just struggling to uh, get away from it. One thing in the walking is being careful not to walk so slow that you are struggling against uh, your energy. But to use whatever pace of walking you feel or you notice allows you to be most continually present. And sometimes it'll be normal pace and sometimes it'll be microscopically slow. Be careful about struggling to walk slow when you've got more energy than can be contained. Another question? What about like for fast walking, jogging, or even dancing? Or something? Mm-hmm. Ballroom dancing is strictly <laughs> out. <laughs> it's just that it might distract others visually. In the privacy of your room, whatever you like. No. <clears throat> We teach the walking as, a, as a, a practice for developing awareness of mind. Many of the other physical disciplines, um, I, can't, I can't comment precisely, but a lot of them have a lot of awareness of body. And if you are in the habit of doing some Tai Chi or some yoga or something like that. Yes, do that for what you need to loosen up the body. But uh, it would probably be better to do the walking practice as I've just kind of laid it out so that you can develop the necessary tranquility of mind and body for the depth of, for seeing the subtlety of our experience. So I'm not saying... No, you can't do some Tai Chi or yoga or you know, some of these uh, other physical disciplines as a way of awakening the body <clears throat> for one walking period or something like that. That's certainly okay. Sure. <clears throat> other questions about walking? Okay. One thing about the walking, or in moving about the building and doing your general activities, especially around meals and toilets when there's lines, be respectful of the fact that there's a lot of people here and move at the pace that's uh, required for uh, social harmony. Okay? Whatever that means to you. So tomorrow, we'll begin um, seeing you for uh, reporting your experience. <clears throat> and the way I like to understand what the reportings are for, <clears throat> or do, is when we sit in here and we give you instructions in the sitting and the walking and the Dharma talks, it's very generic. It's kind of a broadcast 
uh, instructions. And a hundred of you hear it, and you take it to your cushion, you take it to your walking, you take it into your mind, <clears throat> and you work with it. And you have some experience. And there's a hundred different experiences that we can hear to um, offer mid-course correction. So that <clears throat> if you haven't heard correctly, or you, if you have misapplied instructions, we can then offer you individual guidance or instruction how to get back on track or a more effective way of applying the instructions. So the, the um, times of reporting are not exams, so to speak. It's not as if we're going to sit and grade your ability to follow instructions and how well you're doing. <clears throat> but rather for your own um, use. To use the time to um, tell us what you can of your experience as clearly as you can, as succinctly, as precisely as you can, so that we can get a sense of how you're doing. And then to offer whatever advice or instructions or suggestions that we can to facilitate your awakening. And one way to do that <clears throat> is when you come to the um, to report is to speak as precisely, as succinctly, as carefully as you can about how you experience your sitting in your walking meditation. How you experience the body. How you experience the breath. How you experience uh, the walking. And if you can talk about the sitting, the breath, the body, and other uh, experience, and then talk about the walking, the movement, and other experience in walking, then we can get enough of a sense of how it's going for you to be able to offer some suggestions. We know. We know in these initial days there's lots of sleepiness, restlessness, uh, frustration, disappointment, judgment, etc. Yeah, that happens. So, even if you don't tell us, we know that's happening. <laughs> so what's really helpful is if you can tell us, for example, the best about the best period of time in your sitting. What was, what was it like for you? And the best may not necessarily be the most pleasant. You may be very aware, careful, precise with something that's very unpleasant. But the clarity and the continuity of attention is, is what's being enhanced or developed here. <clears throat> And so you may come in with a very um, uh, tranquil, alert, subtle, clear, wonderful, pleasant, blissy experience. Or you may not. You may come in with, I had this excruciating pain, etc., etc. And the clarity, the continuity, and the understanding of either one can be the same. What's not particularly helpful is long rambling stories about, you know, past uh, retreats or past uh, uh, 
family of origin dynamics that are therefore causing you to be the way you are and analysis of your practice. Not particularly helpful. It happens a lot. We do that a lot on the cushion. But reflecting it back to us is not particularly helpful. So if you can uh, try to give a little bit of thought before you come to the... I shouldn't even have to say that. People sometimes obsess. What am I going to say? I don't mean to say obsess about what you're going to say, but just give some careful thought a couple of minutes before you report as to what you could tell us that would indicate to us what your, your, the quality of your energy, your attention, your uh, amount of tranquility and continuity. Then we can, we can get a sense how it's going for you. If you find it particularly helpful to make some brief notes about a particular sitting or walking that you want to report, fine. I wouldn't encourage um, extensive note-keeping. Uh, that can fill up a lot of time, distraction. But if, if you've done note-taking before and you have a good shorthand method for making brief notes that don't take more than a minute or two for a sitting or walking, fine. But that's a minute or two for a walking. Some people have gotten in the past have, have notebooks, yeah, journals, of, uh, you know, and it takes 10 minutes after each sitting. And not necessary. Definitely not necessary. And it's a huge distraction. Other questions about... Comments? Yeah. About how long are the interviews scheduled? They're going to be, uh, <clears throat> probably they're going to be scheduled for 10 minutes. And, you know, we've got to get through a certain amount of people each day. And uh, we found that 10 minutes is really enough for most people. There may be days when some people are going to have to take more than 10. Please be patient. And there are some people that the nature of their their practice or relationship with their teacher is that they take 10, uh, 15 or 20. So you look at the schedule and you see what it looks like and uh, use the time you need skillfully. Myself, I schedule you know, 10, 10, 10, 15, 10, 10, 10, 10, 15, 10, 10, so that I know there's going to be some overlap and extending and whatnot. But then Michelle, I think she's like 20, 20, half hour. You know? <laughs> she does things different. <laughs> so. Other questions? Or should we walk? All right. Let's walk. Eh? Just a specific procedure. Do we wait outside the door with no one in there? Yeah. Yeah, there'll be, uh, all the teachers are doing interviews in one hallway. And so there'll be other people waiting. And uh, you'll just have to kind of watch the door of the te- 
usually the door will be open if there's no one in the room. When someone's in the room, the door will be closed. So just uh, eventually you'll get to recognize who it is that goes before you. And when they come out, you can come in. Yeah. And um, some of you may have practiced in Asia with monks as they've been here. And it's very formal. You know, there's bowing and, and uh, all sorts of formalities. Well, it's not like that with us. <laughs> you know, it's just you know, consider. I, I think it would be most helpful just to consider us as friends who have kind of walked down the path a little bit and maybe can share some of the stories of what's happening on the way. Is it ever appropriate to pass on an interview if you, if you just concentration's going well and just don't feel like the straight? If you can let the teacher know before they schedule it, <laughs> and that'll be about 24 hours. But it's because it, the teacher's schedule, and there's a, it, it's usually pretty clockwork stuff. Then even if, you, even if your practice is very good, and just drop in and say, hey, it's really going good, and I'll see you in a couple of days, or something like that. Well, as much as possible, generally, stay in the body. Stay with your physical movements, sensations, experience in the body so that you're not too um, fragmented and and strung out in thought and fantasy. And uh, we'll be talking more about it, but um, there's whole eating meditations and, and other things. If you're aware of your posture, whatever your posture is, sitting, standing, walking, or lying down, and if you're staying in the body, then... What about the breath? In sitting, for sure. Uh, in walking, movement of the legs. In other things, if there's, if there's intentional movement of the body going on, then that's what you want to pay attention to. Yeah. Yeah, do we knock when it's time for the interview or we'll just let things happen? Do you what? Knock at the door when it's time or just for an interview or just let things happen? Uh... Usually there'll be, the door will be open. If the door's open, come in. If the door's not open, wait until someone comes out. Because there'll be one after the other. Yeah. Okay. We have uh, 35 minutes to walk. And then there'll be another sitting at 10. wide like you would open up the lens of a camera and then listening to the different sounds coming and going it's just like listening to a symphony of sound There's nothing that you have to do to let the sounds happen. Just let the sound come to your attention. 
and just be aware of hearing. And then from this relaxed, open attention, becoming aware of different body sensations coming and going. Letting these sensations just come to your attention like you have the sounds. And then gradually letting the awareness of the movement of the breath come to your attention, 
like you have with the sounds and the body sensations. It's just like listening for the breath. Being aware of this movement that we call breath without working too hard, but being as alert as you can. Anchoring your attention in the present moment by experiencing this movement as closely as you can. If you notice that this movement is very light, just let it be light. Or if it's, va- if it's vague, let it be vague. If it's hard or tight, just letting it be the way it is. Just see if you can follow the movement of a whole in-breath or rising movement and a whole out-breath or falling movement at a time.
you'll notice that thoughts are coming and going like the breath and the sounds and the body sensations. For now, when you become aware of the thinking, just note thinking, and then begin again by anchoring your attention, by experiencing the sensations of this movement of the breath. being as awake as you can and as relaxed as you can. Are there any questions this morning? When the waves come up, how do you... How do you watch the waves and not get sucked into them? The three aspects of mindfulness that I mentioned last night in my talk, uh, sometimes they don't happen in a linear way. So I mentioned recognition, acceptance, and non-identifying. Those are the ways that we can climb the cliff and look at what's happening rather than getting uh, lost in them. So say, uh, for example, anger or sadness or whatever is happening, Um, or hearing. It can can be anything, the breath. Uh, The first thing that we can do to become conscious of what's happening is to recognize it. And in this tradition, often a mental label, a soft mental label, such as saying to ourselves, oh, thinking, or hearing, or rising, or falling, or fear, or anger. That's that moment. It's very simple, but it's a moment when finally we're not um, completely lost in the content of what's happening or the sensations of what's happening. But there's this enough um, detachment from what's happening that we actually look at it. Uh, So the recognition is what initially gives us this ability to step back and look at what's happening. Then acceptance is that willingness, uh, and that, you know, this word willingness is really interesting. It's this willingness to uh, drop into the experience of what's happening uh, rather than to resist it. And uh, over time, one can start to really see that it's the resistance to our experience that's so difficult and so painful. Uh, so that the recognition is what lets you climb up the cliff and look. The acceptance is what allows you to um, experience what's happening. And then non-identification is that ability not to take it personally. To just see, it's, it's when you can have the word just in front of things. Like, oh, it's, oh, it's just hearing. It's just 
breathing. It's just fear. Uh, and that, that, that disidentification is what takes the sting out of life. It uh, allows us to be okay however things are because we're not taking it personally. Sometimes I find for myself that I have to disidentify with something before I can actually accept it. So I did describe that last night in a linear way, but often until I can see that it's just fear, oh, you know, and I'm not taking it personally, I won't be willing to experience it. So it can happen, you know, from (laughs) disidentification to acceptance or vice versa, acceptance to disidentification. Uh, that paradox I described last night where we're, we're developing this attention that uh, when it's in balance, we're able to fully experience what's happening, but we're not taking it personally. We're detached. And that often in the practice will be constantly shifting from being detached but not connected or we'll be very in the experience, but we're lost in it. And, and you'll find that most of the day, you'll be in one or the other. You know, that, that, that there isn't this uh, balance of being fully in the, in the experience, but also dis, uh, detached. You know, so I can, we can talk about these things, but the actual moment where the, there is this balance... Uh, that's, that's the fulfillment of the practice. It's not that you'll have that experience uh, all day. <laughs> uh, you know, and, it, and it's being able, when we tend to, each of us tends to have a uh, kind of conditioned preference for one or the other. So some people tend to be able to really step back from their experience. Uh, but they tend to not be able to really experience what's happening. They tend to be too far back. Uh, and for that type of person, they're, 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 uh, the art is learning how to keep dropping into the experience, but to use that strength of still being detached. And other people tend to be more, they have this conditioned preference to be more really able to be very fully in the experience, but lo- the, the, the way we go out of balance is getting lost in it. Uh, you know, so uh, it's like learning to ride a bicycle. If you remember what that experience was like, uh, you fell off a lot. When I describe that kind of balance, it's not to say that that's the way the practice should be. It's more to just keep checking in with ourselves. And, and the, the, the moment where you can recognize what's happening, it's, it's really important. Now, so you might go a half an hour where you'll feel off. You know, you just, you just won't be able to be here. Uh, and you won't know why, but just keep, you might even just note off, off, or it's okay, it's okay. 
We don't have to be in that place of deep balance all the time. It's the mindfulness is that ability to just be okay, you know, in the equanimity, however it is. And so if there's resistance, just see if you can let that resistance be okay. If you're getting lost in something, just keep noting, oh, lost, lost, or too detached, too detached, it's okay. Uh, When the mindfulness and equanimity are strong, wherever we are is okay. Uh, But the, the deeper, the deeper kind of peace happens when there is that balance that I described. It's a nice, soft, rainy day to practice. It's the second full day of the retreat, so mostly just try to keep going. (laughs) Have a good day. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.